Welcome to the So We Speak podcast. My name is Terry Fakes, and I will be hosting this session. My partner, Cole, is traveling and speaking this week, so I am recording this across from an empty chair, and let's just say I expect to win any argument that comes up on the podcast this week. I thought we would take advantage of this opportunity to look into a a subject we've talked a lot about because we are book readers here at So We Speak, but I thought we might look into a couple of categories of books. Number one being, what are some commonly recommended Bible study resources? As a pastor, I know I get asked frequently, what are some of the basics that should be in your Bible study library? Then secondly, maybe move on to what I've been reading uh, in this past week. Perhaps we can share some ideas and some book ideas on that. And then finally, what's on my bookshelf? What's on the Kindle? What's coming up next? So first, Bible study resources. I'm a big believer in not spending a lot of money on resources when you are a Bible teacher. It's very difficult to buy an entire set of commentaries with, say, one commentary for every book of the New Testament or Old Testament. It can quickly get really expensive. And for many years, when I traveled on business and taught Sunday school on weekends, I was looking for relatively low price Bible study resources. So I'm going to give you a couple of ideas of my own. Maybe you can share some of your ideas with us. First of all, a good study Bible is indispensable. A study Bible can function as a mini commentary. A lot of times the maps and timelines are really good, and they'll give you kind of an overview, a framework, if you will, of all of the books. I personally like the ESV study Bible. I think it's recent scholarship. It's thorough scholarship. With study Bibles, you have to be careful about the editorial slant of the comments, but the ESV study Bible is solidly conservative. I would highly recommend it for its maps, its resources, and the commentary itself. Secondly, I really like the Gospel Transformation study Bible. This is also an ESV study Bible. The Gospel Transformation study Bible focuses more on some of the themes of the Bible. It's really different. If you wanted to get two study Bibles, these are two good ones, the ESV Study Bible and the Gospel Transformation Study Bible. I look at those fairly frequently just to get an idea of the overarching themes as well as some of the details of what's going on in the text and what's going on in history. And finally, this is one that's overlooked because it's free online, The New English Translation, N-E-T, is a good translation. It's fairly uh, formal equivalence or word for word. It's pretty accurate in both the Old Testament and New Testament. One of the things that makes this resource invaluable is it comes with translator notes. So, for example, you'll see a passage in either the Old Testament or the New Testament, and you'll see a number there, and when you click on it, you'll see a translator's note, and it usually gives a little bit of an in-depth understanding of the word that's used there, why the translators translated it the way they did. Now, I realize that for some people, this may be a little more than you're looking for, but for a free resource, it is hugely valuable. So a good study Bible is a great place to start. I'm not saying there aren't other good study Bibles out there, I'm simply saying these are the ones I'm most familiar with, but I would recommend that you have a couple of good study Bibles as your go-to resources. Secondly, commentaries. 
Uh, again, I'm kind of a less is more on the commentaries. I love commentaries. I love in-depth commentaries. I just know that most people don't have the money to spend on them. There are a lot of websites now that will give you access to certain commentaries. But one, uh, i give you two ideas that I think should be on everybody's shelf. And they're not very expensive. The first is the New Bible Commentary. The New Bible Commentary. Uh, I believe it's edited by D.A. Carson. This is a one-volume commentary of the entire Bible, so it's not hugely in-depth. It's passage by, or it's basically section by section instead of verse by verse. It's not very expensive, and it will give you a very quick grasp of what's going on in these passages uh, without spending a lot of time reading. For example, as you get into more detailed commentaries, you can read pages and pages on one verse. And sometimes it's easy to get lost in the forest with that. I found that this new Bible commentary is really a helpful aid. The second commentary I would recommend is the Bible Knowledge Commentary. The Bible Knowledge Commentary. This commentary is two volumes, one for the old, one for the new. And again, it's not very expensive. Now, this is a product of Dallas Theological Seminary, and so there will be places in this commentary that take a dispensational view of certain passages and will assume a certain eschatological bent on some passages. Nevertheless, the scholarship is excellent, and I think you'll find it to be a down-the-road, uh, down-the-middle-of-the-road conservative commentary on almost all the passages you come along. Now, I'm leaving out a lot of things, and if you have a particular book of the Bible, there actually are different commentaries that are best for a particular book. So, for example, I rarely will purchase or look at an entire commentary selection. Uh, for example, I like the Word Bible Commentary. I like the New American Bible Commentary series. But often, I will buy the best commentaries on a particular book of the Bible and build my library that way. So it looks a little more eclectic. You don't have these nice matching sets of all one type of commentary. But for each book of the Bible, you might have the one or two or three best commentaries on that book. So as you go into books in particular, you can build your library, but I would suggest starting with the Bible Knowledge Commentary, two-volume set, and the New Bible Commentary. I think it'll meet a lot of your Sunday school teaching or small group leading needs. There is a great introduction to the New Testament that I would recommend. I believe it's a textbook, but it's uh, not something you would probably read from the beginning to the end. As I say, it's an introduction to the New Testament. It's by D.A. Carson and Doug Moo, M-O-O. This basically has a chapter on each of the books in the New Testament, has some context on the Apostle Paul, has some uh, discussion about how these books got into the canon of the New Testament. If you're looking for a volume that gives you background and really a lot of uh, insight into the themes in particular books, this is a good investment, an introduction to the New Testament by D.A. Carson and Douglas Moo. There are a lot of original language tools available for free online, but I'll tell you a book that I get a lot of use out of, and I think a lot of Sunday school teachers get a lot of use out of, and it is the Complete Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words. The Complete Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words. I believe that this idea originally came out as Vines, V-I-N-E-S, 
But Mounts, Bill Mounts, has put together a new edition. So it's M-O-U-N-C-E, Mounts' Complete Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words. If you'd like to go a little deeper into some of the Greek and Hebrew words without needing to know, Greek or Hebrew, this is an excellent resource. Let me tell you how it's organized. It is organized by English word. So, for example, I'm looking at the word nation. And under the English word nation, it will say Old Testament, and it will give you a couple of Hebrew nouns, which they transliterate, meaning you don't have to know Hebrew to be able to pronounce them. And it will give you kind of the nuances of what these two different words mean and how they're used. And then it goes on to the New Testament, and it gives, in this particular case, for the word nation, two Greek words that are often translated nation. It kind of gives you the nuances of their different meanings. And so it gives you an idea of the words. If you know the English word, like for love, etc., it will give you the various Hebrew and Greek words that are most often translated by that word. I've just found this to be very useful. They're not very long entries, but they're entries that are packed with all kinds of information to give you some really helpful nuances on what these words actually mean. In this next segment, I'd like to talk to you about what I've been reading lately. Not because I think what I've been reading is terribly interesting to you, but we often get asked, what are the kinds of things you're reading? A couple of these resources I'm using to go through with uh, groups, small groups and discussion groups. But let's see, I recently, uh, coming back from Israel on the transatlantic flight, I read a couple of books just for fun. So let me start out with that. The first was Chris Christie's political memoir called Let Me Finish. Chris Christie's memoir called Let Me Finish. I don't know if you've read very many political memoirs, but in general, political memoirs specialize in throwing people under the bus and then backing over them a few times. In other words, they're not known for being kind to people. Chris Christie, I will have to say this, manages to write this entire memoir making Chris Christie and Donald Trump look pretty good. The other people don't fare so well, but I found it to be an interesting insight from his perspective into the Donald Trump White House and what led up to the election of Donald Trump, and it was just a really fun read from my perspective. The second book I read was, uh, you know, that Cole and I are both interested in Churchill and World War II, and there's a particular time period in May of 1940 where some crucial decisions had to be made in terms of whether to have a peace treaty with Adolf Hitler, which many in the government were in favor of, and the appeasers before Churchill had been pushing, or to resist and go to war with Germany. John Lucas, L-U-K-A-C-S, has written a book called Five Days in London, and this is a very in-depth look at day by day for those five crucial days in May 1940. Gives a great insight into the politicians of the time, the various parties of the time. Uh, I doubt that it was uh, quite as complicated as Brexit seems to be, 
but it's a very interesting analysis of that decision-making process. I wouldn't recommend this unless you're a Churchill geek, but if you are, you're really going to like it. Another one that uh, I'm rereading for the second time is called Deep Work by Cal Newport. Deep Work by Cal Newport. Cal Newport uh, wrote an earlier book called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And I read this with one of my sons in business. And I'd have to say it's uh, it's a good book, but not one that's going to make my recommendation list. But this book, Deep Work, certainly does. I read it the first time. I resonated with it. Now reading back through it to try to put some of these ideas into practice. So what's it about? It calls itself Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World. And that's really what it's about. It's talking about how distracted we are because of social media, because of television, because of our training to make us all have relatively short attention spans. Unfortunately, it's a time when if you want to be successful, in order to be able to get a lot of work done, you need to be able to focus. For example, a quote from page 37. To learn hard things quickly, you must focus intensely without distraction. And again, from page 43, but the common habit of working in a state of semi-distraction, email, social media, whatever, is potentially devastating to your performance. Newport goes on to talk about how so often in the business world, we are taught that being busy means you're really good, you're being productive. And he debunks that, which doesn't take a lot of effort, I think because all of us coming out of the work world realize that busyness is often equated with productivity, but rarely is actually productivity. For example, here's a quote from page 64. In the absence of clear indicators of what it means to be productive and valuable in their jobs, many knowledge workers turn back toward an industrial indicator of productivity, doing lots of stuff in a visible manner. And his point's well made. In an industrial world, in a factory world, being very busy means you are being very productive. But in a knowledge world, deep, focused work typically produces uh, productivity. So he goes on in the second half of the book and begins to give some ideas with some case studies of how to train yourself to be able to work deeply. In other words, extended periods of concentration, uh, ways to train yourself to focus and be able to get a lot done. Obviously, some of the techniques have to do with overcoming distraction. Some of them have to do with dealing with your environment, etc. But all in all, I'd simply say to you, it's a good read and worth your time. Another book that I've really liked, and I'll only tell you a little bit about this because I think Cole has also read it, and I think we may discuss it on a future podcast, but it's about leadership, and it's called A Failure of Nerve by Edwin Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, A Failure of Nerve by Edwin Friedman. This book is very interesting in that it is a condemnation of our current frenetic leadership styles. Let me give you an example of what he's saying. His point is that, let me put it this way, he says, we become in love with data. And one of the reasons we like data is it helps us to keep from having to make hard decisions. In other words, it helps us to build consensus 
It helps us to basically be people pleasers as leaders instead of doing the hard things that we know need to be done. Here's a quote from page 35. It has certainly not been my experience in working with imaginatively stuck marriages. By the way, Friedman is a uh, therapist. Families or corporations or other institutions, it has not been his experience that an increase in information will necessarily enable a system to get unstuck, and the risk-averse are rarely emboldened by data. His condemnation is basically this, that we seek consensus, we seek to please people, and we lack enough self-awareness and the awareness of our goals to move boldly toward them. He also brings up the idea, not new to Friedman, but worth considering, of the idea of managing or leading from a non-anxious presence. What he means by that is that we as individuals understand what we're about and where we're going, that we do not fall into the trap of becoming anxious about the turmoil around us, the different opinions, the desire to please the people around us, etc. And so what he's talking about here is being so clear in your own mind that you don't bring anxiety into a situation. I'd love to discuss this with Cole. I know he has some great insights on anxiety and leadership, so I'll hold that for another day. Well, so those are some of the things that I've been reading lately, and a couple of these were moving through with different groups of people, and I found these books to be really helpful. Chris Christie's Political Memoir, Five Days in London, if you want a couple of fun reads, Deep Work, and A Failure of Nerve. So what's on the list for next to read? Well, again, I'm hoping that you will share with us some of the things you've read. We can perhaps share some of that or analyze some of those books with our audience. If you'd like to send in some things you think uh, other people would like to know, perhaps we can read that and have a discussion about it. But going forward, here's what's on my bookshelf and what's on my Kindle to read in the future. Again, some of them are fun. Some of them are serious. Uh, The first is Victor Davis Hanson has released a book called The Case for Trump. It seems to me, as as I'm into it uh, quite a ways, that it's less an apologetic for Trump as a person and really more an analysis of how did we get Trump? How does Donald Trump come into our political situation and win a presidency? It's not uh, by any means critical of Trump, but it does look to the kind of the circumstances that led to getting Donald Trump. I think that's important because as I look at the slate of Democratic candidates coming up for the 2020 election, I see a very similar thing happening on the Democratic side. Uh, Of course, the ideas are different, the ideology is different, the personalities are different, but the issues with the base in this country seem to me to be remarkably similar on the far right and the far left. So I'm looking forward to finishing Victor Davis Hanson's The Case for Trump. Okay, this one's going to be a little out of left field, but I'm reading a biography of Adolf Hitler by Ian Kershaw, K-E-R-S-H-A-W. Do I care that much about Hitler? No, I don't. However, I've often found that kind of the paper stereotypes of Adolf Hitler really don't help me understand how he was able to come to power the way he did. 
Now, I'm not here to make accusations that, oh no, we're in a situation in America where we could have another Adolf Hitler come to power. But I do think that the demagoguery, I think that the populism and the nationalistic wave he rode were uh, very interesting and should be informative to us in our world today. So I'm looking forward to digging into Hitler by Ian Kershaw. I'm also uh, interested in a couple of other books But one, I have to tell you about. Cole, he may not tell you this, but since he's not here, I'll just go ahead and tell you. He has a man crush on Nassim Taleb, T-A-L-E-B. Nassim Taleb is an interesting guy in a lot of ways. Let's just say he's plain spoken. That's a nice way of saying that if you follow his Twitter account, you'll realize he doesn't have a lot of social convention when it comes to criticizing his uh, opponents. But He is an interesting thinker with a very interesting past. Perhaps we'll discuss this book in the future, so I'll let Cole tell you a little about his past. But Cole finally persuaded me to read one of his books. He's an original thinker. The book I'm reading is called Anti-Fragile. Anti-Fragile is basically the idea that there are people, there are systems, that instead of becoming fragile under stress or pressure and breaking or deforming, that there are certain people, there are certain systems that actually become stronger when you stress them. It's an interesting idea, and I think it'll be worth some discussion, and I think it will certainly be worth uh, some consideration. So that's another one that I'm looking uh, looking at and excited to read. And then finally, uh, I'm reading a book called Science and the Good by James Davison Hunter, H-U-N-T-E-R, Science and the Good. Hunter is examining the project that that is current in our world today that says, you know what, there are so many different systems of morality in the world. Maybe that's Christian, maybe it's Judaism, maybe it's Buddhism, maybe it's uh, the tribal and the various mores and ethics of different cultures, that there's no way to reconcile them. And so the current project is, well, you know what, physicists in Pakistan and physicists in Saudi Arabia and physicists in America all look at the world with the same set of physical principles. Is it possible for science to inform our morality and give us a morality that can span cultures and span different ideologies? Hunter's answer to this question is, no, it cannot. But I find his writing to be very incisive, I find it to be a wide-ranging book, and if this one proves to be really, really worthwhile, maybe Cole and I can have a discussion about that one in the future, too. Then no discussion of what's on the bedside table would be complete without just letting you know what my devotional life looks like for what it's worth. Um, I am reading through the Bible in a chronological Bible this year, 365 days. It's the daily Bible. It's the chronological ordering of 365 Bible readings. Uh, I did that a couple of years ago, did a different system last year, but I find that this is useful. It has kind of an introduction to each section every day, and then you read that text. Maybe the biggest downside is it starts in Genesis, ends in Revelation. So you do have those kind of desert wandering times in Leviticus and Numbers. Nevertheless, I'm past that now, and I find that it's just a really great way to organize the Bible, to give it to you in kind of chronological 
order. I've also done something a little different for me this year, and I am reading a book by Alistair Begg, B-E-G-G. He didn't write it. He compiled it. It's called Morning and Evening. And what he has done is he's taken Charles Spurgeon's devotional writings. Spurgeon would take a verse or a portion of a verse and write, uh, in this little book, it's maybe a page, page and a half, very short, and it's a morning and an evening devotional. And I can't tell you how often I've just found that to be really enriching. You know, my philosophy is spend more time reading the Bible than reading books about the Bible, even if it's Charles Spurgeon. But between my Proverbs chapter in the mornings, my daily Bible reading in the evenings, I found the morning and evening devotional to be very helpful. I suspect a lot of our listeners are also using devotionals, and if so, let us know. What are you using? And if we may just share those on the air. We'd love for people to, uh, to add some devotionals to your basic Bible reading and see if uh, that can enrich your study time and your study life. Well, this is a little bit of a short one this week on books, and I believe next time Cole will be back with us. We have a couple of interesting topics queued up. I'd like to talk about immigration. I know it's out of the, the front uh, top fold of the newspapers right now, but I'd really like to explore the idea of what are Christians going to do about the immigration crisis in our nation and in the world. And then secondly, I think we'd like to continue our study of various books of the Bible, and I'd love to discuss Isaiah with Cole. I'd like to see how much he buys into the current scholarship of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Isaiah. Stay tuned. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.